This morning, we're continuing in a series that we've been doing in the Ten Commandments. And the one for this week is an interesting one. It's the one, do not steal. It's interesting because it made me start thinking, when do I remember that I stole anything? And the only thing I can really came up with that was significant, and even that wasn't too significant, was that my brother and I took chance stealing each other's stuff regularly. So I guess that counts as stealing. But when I was a kid, uh, ahead of what, the little school where I lived at, where, I mean, where I was by, it was interesting that they also, somebody put up a candy store right next to school. And so that was a smart person to put that up around by a school. And what was interesting is I don't think I ever did this, but I know there'd be a lot of, we used to call them the bad boys who would go in and they had to watch them because they would often steal some of the candy. I don't remember doing that. It's not because I was such a wonderful person. It was because there was one thing that kept me from doing that, and it was called the strap. My father was a very gentle, kind man, except when my brother and I got in trouble, and then it was time for the strap. The strap ended everything for our family. And so I got to earn, I learned very, very early, okay, guess what? When my father says stop, or that's the end, we do it. And so I don't know if I've done too much stealing, but I imagine for all of us, if we had the time, we could go around the room and think about times where, yeah, I probably did steal that, or I probably should not have taken that, or stealing somebody's car, that probably wasn't a good idea, okay? And if anybody wants to do confession afterwards, it's right over here, back in the corner. And bring the $100 bill when you come, by the way, over here. But anyways, the point is, we're working now in this thing about the Ten Commandments. And it's a very, very interesting one because it has so many layers to it. Once again, I looked at it and I was going through that and I thought, you know, I never thought about that. So what we're going to look about is kind of the things that happen, what's happened particularly in our culture, and to see how important this passage is as well. This passage right here, when we talk about somebody who's running from the police, this is what we're talking about. It's interesting, theft in America has gotten incredibly, incredibly large, and it's become more and more expensive for everybody, including ourselves. For example, notice this, 40, this is about two years old when I got this information, $40 billion from shopping store theft every year. 40, not million, billion. 40 billion. So in other words, you're paying for all the stuff that people are stealing. That's hard to believe that there could be that much theft, but there certainly is. And some would say it's getting worse. And a lot of companies now are spending tremendous amount of money for having lights and having things, all these kind of monitors, because there's so much theft going on. If you go to you know, a, you know, the store and you talk to them, they said, yeah, there's lights everywhere, they've got cameras up because so many people are stealing it. Now, some people do it for different reasons. For some people, it's almost a, a, a fun thing to do. Can I get away from it, get, get away with it? And then, of course, you get caught, and then you got a record, and things go worse. But it is something that you see a lot of things happening like this. And so what I want to give you, here's a little kind of thing for you to think about. Here's the top four things. This is in this one group that I, met, I was reading about. What were the ones that were most ones where people wanted to steal? Okay, so you can think about this for a minute. You got 10 seconds. That's enough. Okay, what was the number one thing that people were stealing from that thing I was studying? The number one thing that they were stealing was 
fashionable clothes. Fashionable clothes. And I'm glad us guys don't worry about that kind of thing. It's all you women. No, not really. But that was the number one thing because it was so easy to go into a store, change the clothes, or put them in your purse, and then walk out. And they were saying at least at that time, that was the biggest thing they had to deal with was people taking fashionable clothes out of the place and stealing them. That's number one. Here's number two, cell phones. If you were thinking cell phones, you're right. A lot of them get stolen. A lot of people steal them. That was number two. Fashionable clothes, cell phones. Number three, I would not have expected this one, but power tools. But I have a lot of power tools. Maybe that's probably what I would think of. And here's one that I would not get, get at all. Number four, wines. There's more and more people sending bottles of wine in different places around the country. And I wouldn't have thought about that. Fashionable clothes, cell phones, power tools, and wines. And people are stealing them like crazy. And it reminds us again that they have this whole dilemma in our country of what do you do with a country where people keep stealing? Now, again, I know there's other places in the world where it's worse than what we have. I'm very aware of that. But at least for our country, to think about the fact there's so much theft going on and the impact and the fact that we are paying more for the people who are stealing. And so that is an issue you have to deal with. And so stealing is something we know it's a universal problem. And it really, that problem goes down to one thing. It's the fall. It's Adam and Eve. It's taking the, you know, the forbidden fruit. It's wanting to get something from nothing, to get what we want. And what it is theologically is basically saying, listen, I can get away with it. I'll get it and nobody will know until you get caught. And then you find yourself in trouble. And so when we're talking here about what's going on, when we're talking about here in number eight, when we're talking about this whole issue, it is significant. It does have a theological part of it because we do believe that we're called to do what's right and not to steal. And that certainly goes with this passage that we have before us. So stealing, it's all over the place. The first time we hear this word about theft comes from an interesting time, an interesting place in the Bible. It's in Genesis 44. It's a passage that's talking about the time when Joseph was maybe taken out by, by his brothers and he got in thing and he ended up being like the second in charge there in Egypt and he was, became really high and then his brothers came in and he get, made him go through all these tests to see if his brothers had changed or anything. And so we had this passage that said, and so, you know, they, we one minute talked about the fact about let these guys know what we're doing. Give them even more money. Let's see if I can trust my brothers anymore. And so we're picking up this passage in Genesis 44. It says, when they overtook them, the, the brothers who had been then, who were leaving, he said these words from them. They said to him, why does my Lord say these things? Because they started saying, oh, you must be thieves. You're stealing all this. And, of course, these brothers are going, no, we're not stealing it. We've never stolen it. And, again, he's trying to get the brothers to see, do they really understand this? Is there repentance on their part of these brothers who had put him in a cistern and left him for dead? And so he said, why does my Lord say these things? You servants could not possibly do such a thing as this. We even brought back from you from the land of Canaan the money we found at the top of our bags. He said, how could we steal? That's the first time we see this in the book, in the, New Te in the Old Testament. How could we steal gold and silver from your master's house? Like, we couldn't have done that. And if any of this is found to have it, he must die and will become my Lord's slave. And you know the story. They do find it. It's like, oh, no. One's going to die and the others are going to be in pr prison. 
And, of course, right there he goes in, and remember, he can't even hold himself anymore, and he starts weeping, and he shows his brother who he really is. But that's where we start first seeing these words about stealing coming in, though obviously it's of other times as well. The passage here, if you notice this, the passage we're working with is sure short. It's three words, do not steal. I can remember that. Do not steal. It's interesting, in Hebrew, it's only two words. It's ta, and we've got to look at it, lo tichnav. Lo tichnav just means don't steal. Okay, I can remember that one too. Okay, It's just saying you don't do it. This is what people do not do who are followers of Christ. And so stealing, again, becomes such an issue for so many people. And it keeps saying you not to do this. Now, there's all different shades of different things when you're talking about the Eighth Commandment, talking about stealing. About three different types. I'm going to just go through three real quick because there's many other of them. For example, among the first, let's say, of the three major types over the centuries, when we talk about stealing, it's talking about stealing of people. We don't think about that very much. You go and look back, you don't have to, but if you read about what's happened in Mesopotamia and all those times in ancient times, that was one of the most worst things you could do was to kidnap somebody. But again, it was something that was very, very common, and it happened an awful lot because a lot of times you could get a person to work for you, and they would be your slave, and you would do that. So that was huge all, again, all that time, all time through Israel. That was a big thing. Stealing people so that you could work for you for free was a major thing during that time. Even during the later times when we talked about this, this is important. One of the bigger groups, what they would do, excuse me, one of the things they would most often do was steal children. Stealing children and young adults. Why? Because you don't want a person that's 105 years old. You want a person who's young who's going to work for a number of years for you. And so it was very common for stealing, you know, stealing children. There was also, for, let's say, the time of Martin Luther, medieval ages. You could do that, but if you got caught, you were really in big trouble. It was considered to be one of the worst things you do was to capture a person. And they did it particularly with children. And that was a terrible thing to think about. The Middle Ages, one of the things they did made sure was a person who was caught would be tortured. You didn't want them killed because you wanted them to keep working for you. But they did a lot of torture. This is an old thing you could talk about the people, that they would be tortured, but they wanted to make sure everybody in the town had to be around there to watch the torture, to make sure that you understand this is what's going to happen to you if you do it. And it's hard to believe that it would happen, but it certainly did happen. And it's something that happened a lot. In America, in the Deep South, if you think about what happened in our country, in the very Deep South, where they needed so many slaves to keep cotton going. And you know it caused a whole lot of things for people. Many people, some of the slaves would try one, two, three, and four times. Oftentimes, they'd be beaten in just terrible ways. That's part of our history. It's not something we want to think about. But it's certainly a significant part of what we see when we're talking about here, when we have people that are willing to do that kind of thing to others' people. Last, about a week and a half ago, I was in Portland, Maine, and I was walking down along the wharf, and there was this really big copper plaque up there, and it looked like historical things, so I stopped and looked at it, and it said, this is one of the places where the underground railway came from the south, up to the north through New England, and then always trying to get into Canada where they would be free. 
And so there in Portland, Maine, it was interesting reading the things about it and the things they did. That's why I got a picture of it there, of saying that was one of the places. If they could get this far, you're like three quarters of the way getting out from the south. And it was, a lot of people were helped out along that time. Uh, this is a house that was there, was one of the places where they would hide the people. When the slaves would come up and they would do that, usually at dark, they'd bring them in, get them food, give them the clothes that they need, then have somebody who would help them to move up to be able to get out from where they were and to get into a place where there's freedom. But it was interesting to think to be looking about that, saying, here we're talking about stuff, that ha stuff that's happened thousands of years ago, hundreds of hundreds of years ago in our own country. But here is an interesting thing. And I was right there when I was reading the plaque that was there. John Newton, the man who wrote the song, what was the name of the song? Amazing Grace. He was a slave trader. He'd been sort of a slave anyways, but then he made a slave trader himself. And he realized how evil that was. And he wrote that song. He's saying, look what God has done for me. I was a slave trader. I was one of those people where the people started dying on the ships. We just threw him overboard. And he realized, even a person who was evil is what I did, that God can forgive me and can find forgiveness and follow the Lord. And of course, he did had an amazing ministry. For that, we're thankful. So that's one of the big things, stealing, stealing people, number one. Here's number two, stealing property. Not stealing people, but stealing property. And what's interesting about this is the fact that you have to remember, but let's take the time of Martin Luther. In the time of Martin Luther, remember, most people could not read. Okay, So that was a real issue for them. And so what happened oftentimes, if you had a system of a problem and you had to go and find out, okay, you know, this is my property. And somebody says, oh, oh, that's not right. I'll tell you what you really need and it'll write out for me. In other words, there was a lot of terrible things that they would do, cheating people, particularly the poor. If you're poor and no one can help you and the, and the prince comes along and says, no, you're now on my property. This is it. And so it happened a lot. And people became more and more angry. One of the things that happened during the time of Martin Luther's time, there was a group of Schwabia uh, called the Schwabian Peasants thing. The people were so hungry, the people were so fed up with all that was going on that they had a revolt. And it was an awful thing. They, they should have never tried to have done it, but the, the princes came in and they came in with their chargers and they slaughtered so many people. And Martin Luther, to his credit, I'm just going to read a little tiny passage of what he wrote. He's writing this letter to the prince, to the king, to all the ones who are in power. And remember, you know, he's a guy that has incredible power. And notice what he said. He's speaking about what happened. He said, we have no one on earth to thank for this disastrous rebellion. He's saying, you know, this slaughter that happened, it's your fault. Except you princes and lords, and especially you blind bishops and you mad priests and monks whose hearts are hardened even to this present day. You don't cease to rant and rave against the holy gospel, even though you know that it's true and that you cannot refute it. In addition, as temporal rulers, you do nothing but cheat and rob the people so that you may lead a life of luxury and extravagance. The poor common people can't bear it any longer. The sword is already at your throats. But you think you can sit so firm in the saddle so that no one can up, up, unhorse you. This false security and stubborn perversity will break your necks, as you will discover. Whoa. To say that to the king? And Luther was bold. 
sometimes too bold. But he's saying, do you recognize the fact that these people that have all the money are living literally like kings, and there are people that are dying, and you really don't care? And so Luther particularly wanted to keep making that point of saying, do you recognize because many of these people can't read, they're being taken again and again. All they can say is, well, they told me that's what it is. And how do you know? You don't often. And somehow I think that's not the one that I needed for that one. But I think we'll get it in a moment here if we can. Oh, it's coming. I see things moving. But again, this was a big issue in that time. And we kind of take it for granted that people can read. Well, for a lot of people, for many long times, they never could read. And so they're totally dependent upon people hopefully telling the truth, saying, yes, this is the right boundary line. This is the place where you stop and we start. And so that became so significant. And that's why it was so important to get people to learn how to read. So that I can read this. And it's not just the priest telling me that. This is actually what is true. And because of that, it helped people to understand. And so that was significant for them. And so again, this is a universal problem. Let me go past here real quick and get caught back where we're at. Thank you guys for doing that, getting it back up. But notice this part in this portion right here that we're dealing with. And here it is coming up right here. What it's often called now today is called land thievery. <coughs> Land thievery, it's a way of getting the land that you want from you, the people who want it, don't want to get it. And it's an interesting thing because it often deals with false words and false promises. People saying, I promise you I'm going to give you this property, and they don't do it. And there's nothing you can do because they're powerless. And often false property sales. We're going to have this property, and they're going to sell it. And, and you know, people go, really? And they're just taken for granted, and they're hurt so many times. Martin Luther talked about that, the suffering of the peasants and how terrible it was. And the Old Testament prophets, the good old Old Testament prophets, they looked what was happening. The rich people were getting richer. More and more people were gathering more and more land. And he keeps saying, God saying, why do you not see this? Why do you not see what's happening to your culture, to your people, to these people? Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah is the plant he delights in. He looked for justice, but he saw injustice. For righteousness, but he heard cries of wretchedness. Woe to those who had house to house. In other words, they're taking people's houses and getting theirs. They're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Woe to those who had house to house, who joined in field. Until there's no more room and you alone are left in the land. In other words, you've been able to get everything you want while there's people starving. There's people who are dying. Habakkuk, not a book that we read too often. Since you've plundered so many nations, all the people will remain plundered you because human bloodshed and violence against the lands and against the cities and all who live in them. Woe to him with unjustly gains of wealth and for the house to be wiped out by so many people and sinning against your own self. For the stones are going to cry out from the wall, saying, again, you don't have care for the poor. You don't have care for those that need help. Saying, God says, you're not going to take care of it. Then I'll take care of it. And of course, we know when you read again the Bible in the Old Testament that God says, you know, I'm going to take you out in a big way. 
because you refused to do what God called you to do and what he called you to be. And so that's one of the big things that we have. The second one, the third one was this, the one that has more to do about us today. It's about, what about work? What about work? A lot of times we don't make that connection between our work and our spiritual relationship with God, but it ought to be. And it is important when we talk about that. Back in Genesis, the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 28, he's talk, God's talking about what he wants them to do. He said, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, there's a goodness to work. There's something good about work that God wants for his people, and he's given us the opportunity to be that kind of person. And so he goes on to talk about how significant that is. It's talking about the goodness of work. 1 Thessalonians, two little passages. 1 Thessalonians 4, about brotherly love. You don't, I don't need to, excuse me, you don't need me to write to you because you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. But notice this last part right here. He said, but we encourage you, brothers, to do so even more, to seek to live a quiet life, to mind your own business. Notice the phrase to work with your hands as we've commanded you so you may walk properly in the presence of outsiders. Important that people, when they see that saying, that's a person you can trust. That's a person we want to know, we want to be with. And so in 1 Thessalonians, he does that. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul comes back again. He said, in fact, he said, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. Now notice this phrase, if anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. Now, be very, very careful. It's not saying the widow who hasn't eaten in three days should be starving. That's not the point. But he's saying that those who have the opportunity and ability to work ought to make sure that they're using that the right way and having an impact on the lives of other people. He said, but stop interfering with the work of others. Now we command you and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ that they quietly work and that they may eat their own bread. In other words, there's nothing wrong about work. There's a lot good about work. And God calls us to be the workers. He calls us to do what we can do to have an impact in the lives of people. This passage is one that's significant. And it asks us the question itself, what about us? How do we do when we're dealing about this issue? In other words, when you're in the office and you're working, the question is, are you doing your very best, or are you trying to think, what can I get away with in the office? Now, I know there's nobody in this room that will ever do anything like that, but other people outside of this room do that regularly. What can you do to do the very least and make them think you're working? Where these two passages from Paul are making it very clear, there is a goodness of work. Work allows us to help not only ourselves and our family, but other people. And that's why he's saying we give, everything, we give our best so the Lord would understand and see, we embrace what we're doing. What we need to be careful too is we need to be rejecting a culture of dependency. This is one of the issues we're going to be dealing with a lot recently and coming forward. We have so many people that are doing, what can I find a way to not have to work and do nothing but make sure I still keep getting a check? This is going to be a huge issue coming up for us. It's going to be even bigger than now we have more of the bo uh, baby boomers now coming to have needed needs as well. 
And the question keeps going. And a culture that keeps looking at this and saying, I want what's mine. We've got to make sure that we're recognizing there's a goodness to work. And God honors those who work for him. Just a little stealing, there's no such thing as just a little stealing. It's either it's good or it's bad. And he keeps saying on the eighth commandment that you will not steal. Lord, we thank you for this passage. It's a passage we don't think about very much, but it's a passage that reminds us again that you've called us to be faithful in what we do and what we say and how we work and how God has given us the opportunity to work in a way to have it helped in other people rather than just getting ourselves more and more money. So be with us, help us, encourage us, Lord, we pray. Be with us, we ask now in Jesus' name. Amen.